Hey, welcome back to the Sunday morning coffee edition of Pigeon Hockey, where we either interview someone in the hockey world or just catch up with each other and maybe even talk some hockey. Remember, we don't claim to be hockey experts, but simply overzealous hockey fans that love to play, watch, read, and talk about hockey. I'm your host, Chris, and today's special guest is Stefan Bell, the broadcaster and all-around media guru for the USPHL's Ogden Mustangs. Stefan, good morning and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Always appreciate what you guys do. Thanks for taking the time to jump on. I mean, I just got back from uh, from Portugal, so for you listeners, we're recording this on December 1st. It's nice and dark here in Denmark, but at this point, when is it not? But uh, yeah, how's it going in Ogden? Yeah, it's going really well. You know, it's it's been quite a season so far for us. I know that with everything that we kind of do on the back end, a lot of people see a lot of the things that our team is doing, the, the players that we're getting, and we obviously have high hopes for the season. We did coming into it in the summer. And, you know, you look at the roster and, you know, we you don't want to immediately assume, OK, let's just jump all, all the way to nationals or anything like that. But you certainly think that we have a good shot at it. And so far, we're going to run for our money from our mountain division. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough division for sure. And you can't take it lightly. And fortunately, we've been on the, the bad side of that. But, you know, coming up 15 wins now uh four big ones in boston it's it's been a really good start to the season for us yeah that boston series when i saw the schedule for who ogden was facing during that series i'm like well this is going to be uh this is going to show the team character right here because that was a tough schedule but you know and there wasn't one game that you there's not one team you could have overlooked there i mean you guys started with philadelphia and they are a powerful team, and they were a really strong team, and that was a really, really close game. Yeah, you know, it was it was one of those games, we talked about this last night at Coach's Corner, that each game kind of had its own individual message. Not that we, the, the staff, the coaching staff, or myself kind of put to the players, but it was just kind of what ended up happening. So with Philadelphia Hockey Club, it was, you know, let's start off on the right foot here. Let's Let's make sure we kind of get going. We get ourselves implemented into into the showcase and, and really, you know, set ourselves apart. So the Philly Hockey Club, I think they went up 1-0 and then we finally came back and we went into intermission. I think we were up 2-1 with a goal late the period from Corey Mater. But yeah, they're a tough team. They're a tough team. And a never say die team, too, because we had a five on three in the third period and they had a player go down and it was like a 40 minute delay. And uh, we're definitely glad that player's okay. He We saw him the next night and he was walking around, which was good. But it, it was overall, it was definitely the weirder of all the games, for sure. Yeah. But they were they were a good hockey team, for sure. And for us to come up, come away with a 5-4 win, you know, it was huge for us to start. Yeah, I think it was a, it was a really good statement game right there to kind of lead into the rest of the showcase. And I think, uh, isn't that like Washko's hometown uh, or I guess one of Washko's hometown teams, depending on uh, what part of the world we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we talked about that last night, too, where, you know, he knows so many hockey players, especially from the East Coast, but also from Europe. So whenever you see the Mustangs games kind of end and afterwards, players like shaking hands and whatnot, you'll see all the European guys always come together. But he's usually in the middle of that. He knows so many hockey players. And so for him, that was a big game, and, you know, he played very well. And it was unfortunate that he ended up getting, uh, you know, a DQ at the end of the game for something that, you know, I, we could have just not had. But it is what it is. We moved on. But it was definitely a, a good start for us. Yeah, and I was going to be heading to his uh, his European hometown here in a couple weeks. I know we just got back from Portugal, but we're going to be heading to uh, Vilnius. And the ticket prices have just gone through the absolute roof and my wife and I while we were still in Porto decided to just 
at this junction, maybe pause, I guess, Lithuania uh, until ticket prices drop significantly or maybe plan ahead a little bit better, I guess, on that trip. And, but uh, right oh, yeah. now Vilnius is off the off the list because I was going to reach out to him. I'm like, hey, he should give me some tips. And well, now I, now I can wait on that. But we figure <laughs> when, when I was, some of the other neighboring countries open up, because right now Latvia and Estonia are a little bit more of hardcore lockdown, it would be really cool to just kind of take a train from Vilnius to Riga and then uh, Riga to Tallinn. But, you know, all in due time, we got to have this never ending pandemic cease for a little bit so we can we can enjoy it. But then actually moving into that second game, because I believe we played Minnesota, a really strong Minnesota team. And Ogden did really well in that game. Yeah. You know, you look at that. And one thing that we've seen throughout the season and I, I guess you no knock on any of the other teams, but teams will play us a certain way, right? We're a very fast, skilled team. And you see a lot of clogging in the neutral zone whenever we play against other teams. The, the outliers obviously do a terrific job. They kind of have our number as of late. But going to the showcase, teams didn't really do that. Teams had their own agenda. They had their own game plan. They wanted to stick to that. And uh, no knock on any of the teams there. It, it, it's just what you do. You know, four games in four days, four opponents you're never going to see probably again unless you go to nationals. So that, I think, favored us along with the fact that the ice was a little bit smaller, and, and which is funny because we play on the Olympic sheet and, you know, there's more room to work and whatnot. But, you know, when we play on those smaller size rinks, it tends to work in our favor a little bit more where guys are flying to the pucks even faster or they're able to close gaps a little bit quicker. So playing the Blue Ox for us, that was a huge game and and it was right from the first shift that they really jumped out and they, they just took it to them. They, they didn't really have to chase the game at all. And you could see the Blue Ox, they, they were right there with us for a majority of the game. But even though it was only 2-0, 3-0 for some time, it, it felt like the, the lead was much bigger based on the flow of the game. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of what people don't understand, the transition between Olympic ice to, I guess you would call it regular-sized ice, it's, it's definitely a smaller-sized rink, is actually a bigger transition for hockey players than, than some would think. And I think back to, if people want to give a listen to, it's not my podcast, but I, I work with uh, Neutral Zone. And if people want to give a listen to Neutral Zone's first-ever podcast, they talked with the, the head coach and, and GM and basically overall overseer of the Portland Winterhawks there and back when he was I guess uh, the junior level kind of coach with the Canadian system they went to the Olympics and he was advised by the senior coach to kind of like hey go talk to Wayne and, and ask how he feels about the the bigger ice and he's like you want me go to you want me to go talk Wayne Gretzky about about something he's like yeah it's bigger Olympic ice you have familiarity with this and so and when he's talking with Wayne, he's like, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to go over and talk to one of the best players ever and see if he's comfortable playing on Olympic ice. And uh, <laughs> it, it's a funny story, but people got to think like you're talking about probably one of the best, if not the best player ever in hockey. And he still has to transition between Olympic ice and regular ice. It is, it's a bigger difference than people think. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those things that it, it's easy to overlook. And it's funny because you think about the Olympics, or at least I do, uh, with them coming up, depending on who the host country is, that will determine what ice you get. So I remember back, obviously, 2010, when Canada and the U.S. played. Well, they played in Vancouver, right, where the Canucks play. Mm -hmm. And so that's NHL ice. All those guys are used to it. it. It makes a difference, for sure. And like I said, playing on that particular sheet that we did for three games, 
you know, there's a lot of reservations I think we had about the ice looking at it. That many games played on any sheet, uh, the quality is not going to be as good as, you know, playing here at home or playing at somebody's barn where it's, you know, one game every day or something like that. But yeah. for, for what they were able to accomplish in those first two games, you know, for one, the against Philly getting adjusted, kind of getting themselves acclimated. And then, you know, the second game against Minnesota, I felt like right from the first period, you know, we were never going to lose that game. It just seemed like that was the way it was going. We had really good goaltending that night. Marco made his debut and, uh, you know, he definitely uh, gave a very solid performance and established himself in net. And the guys in front were able to dictate play in all three zones. So Blue Locks are a good team, without a doubt. And I want to give a shout out to Bennett Witta, who I met when I was there. And I don't know how he knew this, but we were talking about docuseries and whatnot, because Blue Locks, obviously, that's what they do. And they do a good job of that. But that's something we're doing this year as well. And actually, we're going to be releasing episodes here rather soon. But I have no idea how he found out that we were doing it. So shout out to, to him and whatever information he's got. But he's a really good guy. And, you know, they're a good organization. So we look forward to seeing them again, hopefully. Yeah, that's really cool because uh, now I'm remembering that you guys are going to be releasing a, a docuseries. You guys are working with a local company there in Ogden, correct? Yeah. So Ogden X Media, who has been a longtime supporter of the Mustangs, much like yourself, they are people who have been involved with us since I've been here. So at least the last three years on the back end. And that was something we kind of kicked around even last year, which would have been a great year considering COVID really shut things down for majority of the fans. And I don't know, it was something that we were finally able to work out during the summer. And we have a little bit different direction as far as the way we want to release these episodes and whatnot. But as far as the coverage of the team, to give people a, like a behind the scenes experiences for the players, for the organization, what we do, practices, traveling, going to Boston. You know, there's a lot of things there that uh, we want to showcase, but giving the boys that opportunity uh, to, to be on the ice and to, to be spotlighted like that, I think is tremendous. So big shout out to them and everybody that they do, but they're led by uh, Warren Brager and Jimmy Newquist. And I'm looking forward to seeing that because, first of all, I love the Mustangs. And so getting to see the behind-the-scenes stuff I think will be really exciting, especially since I can no longer be in, in Ogden at the point as we now live in Copenhagen. <laughs> but uh, one of the cool things I thought that I, I see you guys do and I see several different teams do is right after the game, you had the locker room atmosphere. And, A, I really miss the locker room atmosphere. <laughs> I need oh, to get yeah. back on the ice soon. But you're in the locker room atmosphere and everyone's excited after a win. And that's the really cool behind the scenes stuff that I think helps the fans connect with the team, especially after a win like that. And you can immediately see how the team's responding in the locker room. And it, and I think that really adds a different element to the fan base and it gives them a different perception on the team. Yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things we kind of joked about last night where I, I love getting those videos, those intimate moments, because it really shows you it shows you the team at a much more personal level. Right. Like we said. So but beating obviously Charlotte and beating Outers Hockey Club to really finish the showcase 4-0, uh, you know, we were really fired up. Me personally, I was beyond fired up. And typically I edit a lot of those things because for one, I mean, guys in hockey, especially they're going to say things doesn't matter who you are. It's just kind of part of the game. But, yeah. uh, you know, obviously, uh, my apologies for some of the language there. It doesn't happen often, but like I said, I was just kind of fired up there. And just to see that kind of raw emotion, I didn't want to dilute that at all. So it was just kind of part of the night and the way it was. So it, it was a huge moment for our organization and a huge moment for, for our players as well. 
Yeah, and I think people like the raw emotion, and I think that's kind of what stands out with situations like the locker room stuff. Is yeah, you get some of the cussing, but you you get that watching the games, you get that in NHL games, you get that in NFL games, you get that on a lot of the games I watch on hockey TV, especially if they don't have an announcer and they're just having rink noise happen, and you just happen to be a camera above the bench, you hear a lot, and I I think that that's the reality of the game. You know, cussing and and, and language people can definitely be upset by it, and we. We don't do that uh, so much here on the podcast anymore, and we bleep it out. We still definitely say it, but we'll bleep it out. <laughs> right. And, and it's just for anybody that is sensitive to that. It is it is what it is, but you acknowledge that that's kind of sometimes just part of the game and, and the world we live in. And, yeah, that's hockey. And just seeing that raw emotion inside the locker room and the importance of the win to the boys was uh, really, really cool. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that, it doesn't matter what sport you play. It doesn't matter what level you've played it at, you know, outside of probably being in youth sports. It, it's always going to be there. And it's just kind of part of the game and not to sweep it under the rug, but it, it, it's meant to prepare you, I think, for things at a much bigger scale. So you're continuously moving forward in life. And, you know, some people don't think the same way as you do sometimes. So sometimes it's not just language. I mean, you think about fighting and hockey. Uh, and I was talking to one of our guys about this, that uh, if the NHL ever took fighting completely out of the sport, I'd be very upset. Oh, and I think uh, a lot of people would because it's much more than fighting. Right. It's fighting. It's it's very deterrent. It's a heroic and it's also a deterrent to other events that could happen. Otherwise, you end up with players biting each other. Yeah, which is insane. (laughs) It's insane. But fighting, it's. It's meant to like hockey polices itself pretty well. I feel like um, there's moments where it explodes and you get, you know, your Ottawa Senators or Philadelphia Flyers. You get those moments where it kind of becomes a little too chaotic and, and that doesn't happen very often like that. Right. So but fighting, it, it serves a purpose and also it helps protect some of the other guys. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, obviously I'm a big Sidney Crosby guy where he's getting shellacked every other game you know all the way up until he's 26 27 and there's not much you can do about it because there you either have a guy protect him or there's just going to be a bunch of penalties called so it's one of those things where it's in the sport for a reason and it's meant for those guys to handle that within the game and that's why it's very rare to see guys outside of the game itself carry that animosity you see it in a playoff series which is different right because it's best of seven but you don't see so much like what's going on right now in the NHL, Brendan Lemieux and Brady Kachuk, where they're calling out each other, saying all these things. That doesn't happen often, and that's because it's handled usually within the game, within those 60 minutes. And yeah, you know, there's a there's a lot of reason to keep fighting there because even though it is going down, and I think that's okay. We want to make sure guys are protected and have long careers and long lives, more importantly. But if they got rid of it, that'd be I think pretty brutal for me and for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think for people that want it out of the game, I believe that either A, they don't understand it, or B, there's a different scenario which is making them very passionate about it. But I think that it does belong in the game, but in the game for specific reasons, like you said, as a turn, you don't want a career like Sidney Crosby's. Like, I love hating him because I'm not a Penguins fan, but I love to hate (laughs) the guy, but I don't want to see his career cut short at 26, 27. I want to continue hating him until he's 40 so that – I get the most I can out of 
that so that I can move on to the next player. Because you need oh, yeah. to have that, you know, and I think you and I were talking about this before the podcast, is you need that as a fan base, you need to have that fan base you hate. And as a Sabres fan, there's a lot of fan bases I hate, and it's all directed at Boston. Whether it's their hockey team or their football team or their soccer team, I don't really care. I hate everything about that city. But that keeps me going as a Sabres fan and a Bills fan. And it, it's just you always have that fan base. And so I don't hate the Boston fan base. I can in certain scenarios. But just oh, yeah. hating just the success of that franchise constantly, just their complete ownership of not only Buffalo but so many leagues. Oh, yeah. Because they honestly it, just – Sorry, going. I was going to say it's like a, it's like a righteous jealousy. Yes, it is. Exactly. And you need that. You want those dominating teams. I hated the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s. You know, so you need that hate and that passion, I guess, in the hockey community. And but you need those you need those incidents on the ice to stay on the ice. But you want guys like Sidney Crosby to be playing long career. You want guys like Connor McDavid to have a long career. New guys coming in, I think. He was just signed an eight million dollar deal for eight years. You want him to have a very long career and to exceed beyond yep. that contract. You don't want their careers cut short because of a cheap shot. And if there's no way to retaliate versus that cheap shot or slew foot or knee on knee or jumping elbow to the head, then guys are going to take advantage of that to deter those players from coming through the middle of the ice or whatever they want to do because they're like, well, I'm going to take this guy out nobody can do anything about it because nobody can bite me so i'm just you're, you're yep. getting away and that's what the fighting deters because you're like well if you do that you might not have to answer for it that game but your face will be answering for it at some point <laughs> and do you oh, want yeah. to take that risk well it, it's funny i'm glad you said that because the other thing too is that it's not just a fighter that fights right correct uh, you think about just in the past week, big one that's circulating throughout social media is Gabriel Landeskog. And when he kind of protected Miko Rantanen, they're playing the Predators, and Matias Ekholm comes over, starts yanking on his helmet, finally tugs it, rips it off. Well, Landeskog goes over, and, you know, remember, he was the youngest captain named ever when he was. He comes over, and he just starts burying Ekholm. And he's not... He's a physical guy, but he's not known for being just a fighter or anything like that by any means. So it, it happens all the way up and down the lineup. Guys are willing to to do whatever it takes, and they want to make sure that they're always protecting their guys. And I don't know. I, I You miss those moments. It's funny seeing Colorado where they're at again now because it reminds me so much of when it was Colorado and Detroit going back and forth for so long. And you see all those heated moments that get stirred up. And obviously yep. you have guys like your Claude Lemieux that are probably forever hated in Detroit. And <laughs> I don't know, it, it's part of the game. It's, it's what you want because like you said, you love to hate other guys, right? Like I love yep. to hate on the Capitals. I love to hate oh, on the Flyers. I love my it's, Caps. It's, but here, I, I, here's the thing though. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to love to hate them as much if they didn't have Alex Ovechkin's, Tom Wilson's. Right. And it goes both ways because I guarantee guys hated Chris Kunitz. They hate Sidney Crosby. They hate Geno Malkin. So um, you, you definitely, as time goes on, I think, learn to appreciate those guys. And, and I hope Ovechkin breaks the goal-scoring record. But do you look at the way he's been playing and the fact that he's been able to do this with – he's been through multiple lockouts at this point, at least one. Yep. He's, I, but I think he's been through two lockouts. And he's been through COVID seasons. So minus yep. those, I think he'd already have caught him. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you think about it, too. I was looking back. I don't know if you remember early 2010s. Uh, people started to think that he was losing it because he was only scoring 30 goals a year, which is, I think, anybody in the NHL, a GM would take a guy to score 32, 34 goals. And for him, that's considered, oh, he's done. Like, that's unbelievable to me. And then I think he won during the same time or like a year after. It was like that 2013 lockout year. He won, uh, I think he was first team all pro in two positions, which was the first time ever. So, um to to have the longevity in the career that he has, the way he plays, how physical and and, and how uh, physically gifted he is overall, it's just it's incredible to see. And I don't know if we'll see something like that again. I mean, to me, he reminds me so much of like guys like Eric Lindros, who you wish that he stayed healthy. You know, and it's a shame that he didn't. But I think there's an even more appreciation for guys in this stage of hockey where it's at because the skill level across the board is unbelievable and the trickle down effect goes all the way through junior hockey all the way into youth hockey and what kids are able to do at this age and then what they're able to do at this age when they hit the nhl like a jack hughes it's it's unbelievable so i hope everybody stays healthy for what it is i know jack hughes is back now so and for the sake of my fantasy team i hope he stays healthy so that'd be very much appreciated (laughs) Yeah, that's a thing. So I actually did have one of the fans reach out because uh, we didn't do the fantasy hockey this season. And I was like, yeah, we're just we're just not going to because last year like we were all in on it. But it was a lot to keep up with when you got a really busy schedule as it is. And I'd forget for weeks on end. <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah. Fantasy yeah, hockey is a grind for sure. It is. It's like you have to wake up first thing in the morning drinking your coffee before you even go to work and just make sure your lineup is set for the day. Uh, if you don't do that, it, it's not happening. And this year I'm like, yeah, we'll do the, the PHF one for the Premier Hockey Federations because I like those kind of hands-off league. I was in a hands-off league years ago where basically you pick your team and there's a lot of steps you got to go through to shift a player like somebody went on long-term IR it's like okay well you're releasing the rights to them though you know that like you don't have first right. rights on them if they come back so but you didn't want somebody to completely lose an entire season because they had one or two guys fall on long-term IR so it's like you, you kind of right. gave people an out but that was basically it Un- unless they could also trade for a team and another player had but they couldn't take a guy that was a free agent unless they had a guy jump on long-term IR. So it's like some kid really just blew it up that season and no one was expecting it. No one could pick him up unless they got an injury. <laughs> so oh, it's yeah. like sometimes you're hoping for your lowest performer to get destroyed so you can pick up the, the guy who was really killing it so far. You know, similar to fighting, you know, fantasy hockey serves a purpose. Uh, I think for myself, it, it makes me watch hockey even more, which I didn't think I'd ever do. But also I've been very impressed this year as far as, the coverage for hockey from ESPN and, and uh, TNT. I wish it was how a little is bit that more going? Skill. I have to ask, uh, how is that going? Because I, like I said, I'm over here now, so I don't get any of that. Oh, yeah. No, it's so ESPN has been good and bad at times. For me personally, I think a lot of hockey fans could probably agree ESPN has notoriously not been the best hockey supporter in a long time. And maybe that's because they don't have the rights and they have football and basketball and baseball and everything else. So I don't know. I think the the coverage where I can go onto my app and watch games, oh, like I'll watch the Penguins, then I'll watch the Ducks or I'll watch the Avalanche. I, I can watch so many different games, which is good. 
Um, but then the other thing is the TNT guys who they bring together a good balance of good hockey players like legend. You know, you have Wayne Gretzky on there the first couple weeks and then Rick Tockett's on there. You have Paul Bizanet, who is loved by so many people right now, especially because of his podcast. You know, you, you have all these guys who are, are on there and they bring such a good vibe to the sport of hockey and they're able to not only talk to the the hardcore fans but the average fans and they, they're really able to blend that together to attract a new audience which is what i think hockey needs because if we want the sport to continue to grow you know you have to start to reach different markets or different viewership or fanship and things like that so i i definitely enjoy it and i think it it goes away from the don cherry-esque sort of hockey kind of mentality where has to be always traditional where it's not we, you can respect that but can also continue to move forward into more of the modern culture i guess yeah so I, I definitely appreciate what they're trying to do and and you know i think they're doing a good job so far yeah i was very concerned about espn taking it back over because i had a deep hatred for espn based off their lack of hockey coverage while i was growing up it didn't matter what was happening in the hockey world it may have gotten 30 seconds in an hour episode and that always really disappointed me because that was your main main source for for news especially uh dating myself here but before the internet and you you had to rely on espn to cover stuff and so that's i guess why my my hatred for espn on that uh runs a little bit deeper than maybe it should but I'm glad to hear that they're they're changing it up. Obviously, they've got new people there at ESPN. Uh, they're growing, and all the love towards them if they if they're going to keep growing the sport and and give it the better coverage and and bring in new fans. I mean, that's what hockey needs. That's what uh, it's it's the greatest sport on the planet. So if if they can portray that, then you know, well done. Yeah, we definitely definitely hope that that's the way it continues to go and trend towards. So. Hope they, they keep doing a good job. If they ever need some personalities, I think we got plenty of them here on our team. So I'll <laughs> come to talk to any of our boys. But uh, I'll give a, a shout out to both Jack Jones and Corey Mater, along with the rest of the boys. But those two in particular, anytime I pull my phone out to start recording something, I don't know how they know. It's like just a tractor beam where they're like, oh, Stephen's recording. I got to go over there. So a uh, shout out to those two guys who have been awesome this year. And, you know, they're awesome last year as well. Yeah, Jack definitely knows where the phone is. Uh, when I would record different videos, like of the boys coming on the ice or different things during the game, well, not during the game. He wasn't paying attention during the game. But the intermissions and such like that, he would know exactly where the phone was where I was recording and just point or shout right at the, the phone and then continue doing what he was doing. But, yeah, the person I was like him, we've had him on a podcast. He's awesome. We love having our uh, the Pigeonhole Hockey podcast represented on the back of the jersey this season. And yeah, Corey Mater, we haven't had a chance to chat with him yet, but we will be looking to bring on not one of the new guys here, you know, bring on somebody back like Jack Jones and, and as as kind of what we're doing with you here, you know, bring on some of our past guests and not so much do an interview, but literally just talk hockey. And I think uh, around New Year's, I don't know if I'm going to do it as a as a weekly episode, I think on the 29th or as like a New Year's episode on the 2nd, we're going to try to do like just bring someone on and, and talk some hockey and you know, the new year, new me type mentality everyone has at that type of year. And maybe yep. some uh, people's uh, playlists for working out because everyone's going to be doing it now. So maybe it's sometimes like, hey, check out this playlist because I'm always looking for new music on my workout. I think I've got like nine hours of music on my workout and I'm already <laughs> bored with it. So 
you know, Time I had to it up. <laughs> it really is. So when I hear other people have playlists for their workouts, I'm like, hey, what do you got? So I'm always looking for new music because it's getting that fresh music in your head during a workout really makes a big difference. And yeah, we're looking forward to bringing on uh, the some of the boys there. And also, we got another episode coming up here for you listeners. It'll be here in a couple of days. We're going to have the November 2021 Junior Hockey Highlights episode. So listen out for that one. That one will be really exciting. We're going to be excited recording it here. I actually got a wrap-up reviewing the videos here and, and getting through the games because while we're in Portugal, I didn't get a lot of hockey in. And uh, I'm catching up on the rest of November's games so that I can kind of come up with a list there and, and get those over to the rest of the team so everyone can rank them up. And we'll see what we come up with here. So I think I got like maybe less than a dozen games to go through. And... We'll see what we come up with there. But as you were talking there about Alexander Ovechkin as well, I think we're going to be having an episode later in the month, maybe towards Christmas. I'm not 100% sure yet. Uh, if listeners have heard the the all-time Russian team, the Canadian-American teams, the all-time European team, we're going to do an all-time team. And we'll, maybe, Stefan, we'll bring you on as a guest for that one because me and Sebastian will be dropping our all-time best teams um, i'm i'm already ready to shock the hockey world my dad laughed when he heard where i put a specific player and he's like oh you're gonna you're gonna enrage an entire country i'm like yes i am and i'm looking forward to it <laughs> i certainly look forward to it no i think uh i i honestly i love things like that and it's funny that you mentioned that because on coach's corner at the end i typically like to ask pretty funny questions for the players because not to shake them up but you want to see that kind of different side of them where it's maybe not so formal. Yeah. And I asked the question last night to, uh, we had Lucas Washko and Bryce Miller on who they were both great. And uh, I asked them, you know, fate of the world and you're the coach and you get your starting five and a goalie. Who are you taking? And without skipping a beat, Washko goes, all right, well, I'm going to go Wayne Gretzky, Igor Larionov, Yari Curry, and then on the back end, he said, Chris Pronger, Paul Coffey, and Annette Bernie Perrant. And wow. just in that answer alone, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I love the answer because it's so different. You know, hearing, you know, you hear Igor Larionov, Yari Curry, Wayne Gretzky, like three uh, just idols in, yes. in hockey from the 80s and the 90s, right? And then you have a Bernie Perrant, you have Chris Pronger, and then Paul Coffey. It's like you don't hear the... Well, I'll take Wayne, Mario, Bobby, or, you know, like, you yeah. know, your Mount Rushmore guys. So I thought it was pretty good. Bryce's answer cracked me up because his was so opposite. He goes, well, I guess I'll take Ovechkin, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby. He goes, I don't need defense. <laughs> and Annette, uh, he goes, uh, Marty Brodeur, and that's it. And I was like, okay, that works too, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that would be. It's it's interesting to hear people's perspectives, and that's why I think when we do that episode, and and when we do record that, if you're available at that time, I'll let you know when that'll drop. Uh, we tend to record on Mondays, but we're excited. I prepared the list a second. Me and him prepared for the European list. I did it in the same night. I'm like, well, I've already got my other line, so let me just create an entire world list. I think I did that back in September, and I'm excited to go back through it. And it's harder than people think. It's especially when you dive deep into just the quality of players from a around the world all time and you're leaving off some of the biggest names ever because you're like it just doesn't fit on my team plus i i always instill the rule with us because otherwise you could fill your team with centers like no yep 
they got to be traditional winger. They got to be if they didn't play left wing and they have no history of playing left wing, you, person has to be a left winger. You can't oh straight up centers. We're going to fill our team with centers. We're we're, we're team Canada at the Olympics and we're just going to load up <laughs> on centers. And yep. yeah, you know which they can because it's Canada. But in an episode like this, you don't want to hear that. And you're like okay, well let, let's restrict ourselves to like eight players per country maximum. And players have to be in the position that they play. You know, you can't have center field things. So this way you're forced to leave off some really amazing players. And I think that drives the conversation. And I think we're we're definitely excited to record that one when the time comes. No, I uh, I, I think that'd be awesome to be part of for sure. So if you want to send me what the requirements are, I think I got most of it. But uh, I'll definitely work, put a list together. And maybe, maybe I'll ask some of the guys, too, if they want to uh, – make yeah. their own list and we can share those. So I think that'd Absolutely. be pretty awesome for sure. And, and like you said, mixing it up where you're not picking like the team Canada philosophy, I think yeah. it makes it even more challenging because you have to respect the certain positions and, and the dynamics within that. So uh, I think that'd be pretty awesome for sure. We had fun with that. And then when we've done the, the specific areas like U S Canada, Europe, and Russia, and when I say Europe, I, I mean Europe and all others, because there are players that don't come from any of those regions. So it's kind of like Europe and all others. I think you look at the dynamic of the team you're building and you're like, OK, if I'm going to put this team in the Olympic Games and I know I got to face, you know, if I'm building like the U.S. roster and I, I know I got to face the Canadian team, I'm not picking all the best players from American history. I'm picking the right players for the right lines. And I'm thinking oh, yeah. the right, yeah. And you, you're thinking about players specifically. You're like, would this player and this player pair well together? Do I think these pair? And that's why I think my list in particular, people are going to be surprised by specific players, especially maybe one specific player everybody loves that I put in a specific position because I'm like, there's a reason for it. I have, you know, there's a justification as to why this player is going to be playing on this line, and that they actually made my roster. And why certain players didn't. And it just I think it's it's important. Plus, when you put in things of like capping a team at eight players, you're like, ooh, OK, do I want to go with their <laughs> offense their defense their goaltending? Like, I want them all. What do I do here? So you got to kind of shift things around. Yeah. And I think that that's where the challenge becomes more exciting. Otherwise, I think a lot of people drop name drop on a lot of things like, oh, you left. Like you said, like you left Bobby or off. I don't know if I did. I'd have to look. I doubt I did. But maybe I did. I'm like, right. yeah, well, you know, considering the you know, the players that have come after him, maybe I am. So there's certainly a lot of guys who you're going to look at, and it's, it's going to become a Herb Brooks sort of challenge where you're not looking for the, the best players, you're looking for the right ones. And when you only have eight spots, you got to make sure you pick the right ones there, or at least the ones you feel are the right ones. And I think it should be pretty fun. It will be. And I think once the listeners get to hear that one, I, I love hearing the feedback from people when sometimes you didn't pick somebody they thought was, was a shoe in and it's like well yeah and, and you can definitely hear like in just in case like Vasco's list right there of the players he dropped you could definitely see the philadelphia kid in him with players oh, yeah. like coffee and lindros and parant and you're gonna get that bias from people they're gonna pick players that they're even more familiar with and passionate about because they believe that they're going to be the best player for that position and and like you said, you know, the Herb Brooks quote, you know, you want the right players, not the best players. And I think that's really critical. You see that with a lot of a lot of sports. And sometimes you, you get these, you know, powerhouse full teams. And I think the classic one of all time would be that dream. Team. I think it was a 92 dream team for basketball that just I think they got destroyed by Yugoslavia. And 
you know, and that's just kind of one of those things where you need a team that's built around winning, not a team that's built around the best players. You need a team that's capable of playing together. And, you know, Herb Brooks thing, again, if you're playing for the name on the back and not the name on the front, then you're probably going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because that's, it's such a philosophical um, approach to the game and what you're trying to instill and incorporate over the course of probably two years for Herb Brooks, two and a half years, whatever it was, trying to get that team together. That's why it's so remarkable. And I'm glad whenever a list comes out and they talk about greatest sports moments of all time, maybe or maybe even greatest United States sports moments of all time, it's always number one. Yeah. And it's because the fact that you look at just how good USSR was or the Red Army, like they were unbelievable. And what they were doing to NHL all-star teams, yeah. what they were doing to Canada, I mean, it, they were tearing people apart. And it wasn't even close. All right? And if you watch Miracle, that movie, I think, is one of the best sports movies of all time. Just the way it that is. they portray exactly what happened. The guys on the team, you know, they played that game before the Olympics started, and they got killed. And it was exactly how the movie put it, where they didn't stand a chance almost from the first face-off. And the level of confidence that the Soviet Union had when they came into each game, it was it was unbelievable. So for them to do that and win that game and really change hockey from then on, I'm glad it's still appreciated as much as it is, even almost, what are we at, 41 years now later? It's, yes. It's incredible. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, like, not really eye-openers, it's a little bit of an eye-opener. But when you when we did like our Russia episode and, and you were picking the best Russian slash Soviet team of all time, you know, we grew up in North America. You know, you know, the American players and the Canadian players. But when it comes to those deep teams back from the Soviet Union, you don't recognize their names. But then you see their accomplishments. You see what they were doing at that time frame to North American teams. And you see the the way they structured the team and built the teams and all of it combined, you're like, okay, how can I not put this guy on my roster? So when I built my team, it was, you know, my Russian team, it was really interesting to just read up on the individual players and and to know why I was picking them. Well, now when we recorded the episode, people didn't want all that stuff in it. So I had like all these notes on the side that like uh, Sebastian could see, but I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to pick Harlamov. And I'd I'd quickly wrap up like an entire paragraph of what I found in like two words. (laughs) And I was just like, but when you look at it, it's like, yeah, I'm 100% going this route. And so when we do that episode, I think we're going to have a blast with it. Yeah, if any of the boys want to contribute what they think would be cool, it'd be be nice to kind of drop their names in their list real quick at the end of the episodes and then see what we think and compare to what we ended up with. But yeah, it'll be a good one. Yeah, no, I I think it'd be awesome. So maybe uh, we'll put like a document together and then I'll, print a bunch out, give it to them, have them fill it out and give it back to me. So, cause you can tell some of them really love that stuff and some maybe not so much, but they still, every kid on this team, they know hockey so much. And for, for people like you and I, and, and for our coaching staff, like we eat all that stuff up because yes. we love it too. You know, it's why we're still part of it. Yep. It's because you're deeply passionate about it. And to have the, I call it a privilege, but to have the privilege of like jumping on the internet and researching all these players and then, I will spend hours just sitting there building a team and then I don't like that. I'm going to rebuild it again. And so what final portion of it is that the listeners here, I went through that thing like three or four times, even when if people want to listen back to this week's episode where Michelle and I 
went over the revisiting the 2011 NHL draft. I probably redid that thing five or six times before I actually decided on this is who I draft if I was each one of these teams. It was funny right off the bat when she announced her number 10. I was like, okay, did she see my did she see my notes? Because we don't share each other's notes. That's another thing I don't think the listeners know. Like when me and Sebastian are going to drop a list or me and Michelle or me and Ben, we don't let each other know what we got because we want honest reactions. And it's, some, it's funny sometimes how we'll end up with like the same pairings in different scenarios or <laughs> me and her with an entire draft and a, and a, and a player that wasn't even in the first round, me and her both selected at number 10. And you want to find out who was selected number 10 by both of us for Minnesota. Go back and listen, everybody. But yeah, it was really interesting to see, you know, her perceptions on why she put players where she did and, you know, I knew why I did, and I wanted to explain why certain players dropped out of the top 10. So I'm like, I can't just ignore if I'm going to take a player out of the top 10. Where would I put him? Let me kind of go through 11 through 15 real quick before we wrap up the episode and let the fans know. And it was interesting to her, her perspective, too, because then she dropped some names that I was like, OK, wow, you would have drafted them there. That's really interesting. And I look and I'm like, yeah, I, I disagree. But it's that's why it's great on where we put different players because each individual has their own reasoning as to why they would draft a player higher. It doesn't always have to be top goal scorers. It could be just the personality of the player and what they the character they bring to a team, and that's massively critical in hockey. Yeah, it's so there. There's a lot of different things that kind of came to mind as you're speaking there. And one thing I appreciate, and I think for somebody like you, you would as well, when you hear like general managers interviewing either be on a podcast or a show, whatever it is, and they give some insight to maybe like a draft class. Like I know Brian Burke does this quite well. He's a very good storyteller, but he talks about certain guys when they interviewed him and he gives reasoning behind why he asked certain questions. And it's because of certain things like, you know, there's player agents and things like that. And you want to make sure the players are going into these uh, interviews with the right mindset because they're, you know, trying to make millions of dollars and be drafted higher up or as high as they can to certain teams. But when you hear explanations as to why certain things are asked or why they go after certain guys that they want, or they just want to confirm, okay, are they a good character guy? Are they, are they going to cause problems in the locker room, but they're going to score 80 points on the season? You know, there's a lot that goes into building a roster Yes. And sometimes you can take the risk on the guy who maybe has a little bit more of an attitude, but that's based off of other personnel that you already have on your roster. You think of a, a kid like Trevor Zegras, right? Not a big attitude guy at all. In fact, he's incredible. But he goes to a team where the captain is Ryan Getzloff, who's been there forever. You know, he was part of that historic 2003 draft class. And his leadership is so invaluable there that you can almost bring in anybody and under him and the leadership that they have in place there, they're probably going to be okay. I don't know. To me, I just appreciate hearing the explanation to some of those things and knowing why certain guys are taken for certain reasons. And it's tough when things don't work out. It feels a lot more heavy on me now when you see a young kid kind of flare out and he doesn't really make it so far. Like, you know, you have obviously think back in recent memory, Nail Yakupov is probably the biggest bust in the last decade which is unfortunate because at 18 years old, I think of some of the kids we have now, and I would just be so heartbroken for them if their career didn't go the way that thought was going to pan out. So makes you appreciate a lot more nowadays, for sure. Yeah, and it, because everything's more in your face nowadays, more, it's it's all far more out there. If like you, you faded out back in the day, it was, it could be a little bit hidden, but now it's, it's a lot more out there and it definitely messes with people's heads and 
And that's one of the big things I always like hearing. Again, I've been working with NutraZone and listening to their podcasts and working with them on editing and a lot of the development of their stuff. Like you were talking there about what teams look for. They had a uh, Brian Putnam, uh, one of the amateur scouts for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's the guy responsible for drafting Jonathan Quick for the Kings and helping build that Stanley Cup team. And now he's in Tampa. So you look at what they look for in players and I like the questions they ask like, okay, so what if a player does this? He's like, Oh, written off completely. He's like, I don't care how talented they are. If they act like this or do this, it's just something that we can't have in our organization. But then you said right there, it depends on different character things of what they're looking to build. It's interesting because a player can fade, can fade quite quickly. Or there can be players completely overlooked that nobody's looking at. And I, that's why I like these organizations. Again, Shattuck St. Mary's and, and what they do there. And yeah, they get a, the best players basically in the National Hockey League. A ton of them have gone through Shattuck St. Mary's. But there's a lot of players that go through Shattuck St. Mary's that they might have started our promise, but they fade. And the development of these these young players in all of these leagues and through all these organizations should always just be developing the player and the person. Because hockey's not going to work out for the vast majority of these players going through any system, no matter how talented they are. And to build a person is, I think, extremely critical because when hockey's done, what's next? What else are you passionate about? What else do you love? And I think that's what I what I love seeing from a lot of organizations. Again, I just think it's far more critical is, yes, you're developing the hockey player and everybody's aiming for the same dream. But in truth, you're, you're really developing the, the person going through your organization. Yeah, without a doubt. It, it's such an important thing that can't be overlooked. And that's one thing that for our coaching staff and, and for our ownership and organization that for over the last 11 years, it's been such a critical piece to helping these young players on and off the ice to see them progress in life and grow through things and, and get through those major hurdles in their life and, and come out on top. To me, we talk about development and winning and those things, I'd like to say, kind of go hand in hand. It definitely helps when you win, but it also helps when you lose a little bit, too. Yeah. I don't know. It, it helps you build yourself off the ice, which is so important because hockey is one of those sports when when you're at this level or this stage of your career, when you're in juniors, you either make it or you don't. And, and it's going to come to an end pretty quickly. And, and Washco when I asked him that question last night, what is it like to be a veteran guy now, especially with guys like Sava, who's his bill brother? He just said that for him, he wanted to tell Sava, make sure he knew that to enjoy every moment, do as much as you can or work as hard as you can, because four years or three years, however long you're in junior, I can go by very, very quickly. And he's right. It's it's so important within that time frame to to not only develop these players on the ice, but also in life and with their education and and to see them through past the sport, because chances are for the majority of junior hockey is that it's it's not going to last too much longer. And, and it's an unfortunate reality, but it's one that a lot of people are faced with. So you want to make sure that you're using that time wisely and you're ensuring even the families that we're doing everything we can to to help the quality of life for your son and you know make sure that we're setting them up for success no matter what direction they go. So it's definitely very important to us. And, and that's a very critical thing. I think that can be overlooked, but I think a lot of organizations do a much better job now than they did maybe 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, whenever it was. So you, you need that. It's important to do it for sure. Yeah. And I think that's important for the players. They know that it's more of a, 
all around organization and that they're being looked after on every aspect of their lives, not just hockey. I think you get a better hockey player out of that too, because they're going to want to compete for a team in an organization that overall really just not only cares about their hockey progression, but cares about them as a person and their next stage in life. And I think that definitely helps, I think on the ice. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly translates to both. So I don't know. It, like I said, it, it's it's always a privilege to be able to be part of this. And if I can speak into uh, players' lives even just a little bit, it, it's such an honor for me. So I just want to make sure that they know that we want them to to live in this moment and enjoy it, but also know that it's not going to last forever. So I think they they realize that and they realize the importance that hockey is a lot for us here. And that's why we're here. But there's a lot more to life than that. So, yeah. Um, and it's crazy because thinking about it now, if I was their age, I feel like kids just in general, maybe it's because they have more access to things, but they're so smart. Even if they choose to not be at times in, in conversation <laughs> or things that they do, they they know. They know everything that's going on. And that to me is kind of scary at times, but also is like, wow, that's incredible. So it's nice to know that they realize what's going on. You don't have to drill it in their heads too much, but just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely different than when when we grew up. <laughs> but right? but yeah. But yeah, no, it, it's been a, it's been a great conversation and we do want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at PHH official to let us know what you think and also be sure to comment and share any upcoming games or hockey news we should cover in a future podcast. This was a Sunday morning coffee edition of Pigeon Hockey with Chris and today's special guest, the broadcaster, the USPHL's Ogden Mustangs, Stefan Bell. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Throw appreciation out for you guys. Couldn't thank you enough for what you guys do and supporting our team and our boys. So much thanks there. No, not a problem at all. That is that is my team, and I love my Mustangs. And remember, listeners, always clear your crease.